Take a trip to somewhere far away It could be Timbuktu or just Tampa Bay in this heavy world an answer to a prayer get close to heaven with a trek through the air kick back relax you're on a stagecoach in the sky Leave all your cares behind you, we'll get you hard. Step by step, row by row, there is a spirit in the seeds we sow. Your humble journey is our sacred right. We'll bear that cross for you all through the night. Take a pilgrimage to JWA. Strap on that buckled hat and let us take you away. Hello, and welcome back to Jawadawa, Part 7, Finale. Scene 28, Ambushed. A hot, dusty wind blows across a bleak landscape. In the background, we see rugged hills and canyons, spotted with scrubby dead bushes. Occasionally, a ruined wagon or a half-buried ox skull breaks the monotony. The camera pans back, and we see a massive pile of people lying on the ground and moaning. They're all dressed like townsfolk out of an old western movie. They're in all sorts of compromising positions. Reynolds and Cox are doing it. Joe Frank is sitting atop a dappled stallion. Jenny and Himmelfart are 69ing. Others have sprawled around in other similar states of partial undress and group sex poses. Gradually, they all start to realize their surroundings have changed, and they begin to stand up and fix their clothing. Everyone seems to be suddenly sober, and some of the positions are leading to a lot of awkwardness. What the hell? Whoa, where are we? The camera swivels around, and we see there is a flimsy wooden building right in front of them. It looks to be made out of driftwood, and a sign at the top reads, Saloon. There is a low porch out front with a railing for tying up horses, and some water troughs. Hoffman is sitting on the porch in a wooden chair, kicked back with his boots propped up on the horse rail. He is dressed as the man with no name, black hat, poncho, dungarees, gun belt, mean-ass boots, and an 11 o'clock shadow. He is smoking the peace pipe we saw earlier in the film. He lifts his feet, and the chair clunks down to the porch with a bang. He stands up. Welcome to the spirit world, motherfuckers. 
Consider me your god. The camera pans back to look over his shoulder at the crowd of stunned and confused faces. Hamilton breaks the silence. Hey, why am I a horse? Hoffman spits into a brass spittoon, <laughs> ringing it and grabbing everyone's attention back. Okay, first lesson. The spirit world seems to have determined that you saw white folk, even those of you who are normally a little challenged in that department. He stares at Sinbad. Hey, what's he doing here? Sinbad shrugs. Free sandwiches, man. Hoffman interrupts. Don't take this personally. It's more a lifestyle thing. War drums begin sounding in the distance. Okay now, uh, second lesson. In the spirit world, you are fucked. Jenny waves her hand. Um, should we like go inside? It's pretty dusty out here. Everyone rushes into the saloon through a pair of flapping half-doors. When the dust clears, we see Hamilton has been left tied to the railing outside and can't get in. Dudes! Cut to the inside of the saloon. The inside of the little wooden shack is dirty and gritty, but fully stocked. There is a long, polished wooden bar off to one side, and a little piano on the other. There are a bunch of flimsy old tables and chairs in the middle. The walls are decorated with wagon wheels, pickaxes, gold pans, and the like. A bartender with a colorful vest, rolled up sleeves, and a big handlebar mustache stands at the bar, polishing up some glasses. And a little guy with a waxed hipster stash tinkles away at the piano filling the place with some nice old-timey music. Most of the crowd sits down at the tables. A few head over to the bar. Jenny pulls out some cards and starts up a strip poker game with Joe Frank and a few of the protesters. Hoffman and Reynolds stand at the doors, peering out into the gloom. Sinbad makes it to the bar first. What's your poison, cowpoke? Oh, well, what do you got, mister? Oh, we got all kinds of spirits here. He yucks and slaps his knee at his joke. Hey, hey, hey. How about a glass of whiskey? Coming right up. Sinbad steps aside to let someone else get to the bar and bumps into a shadowy character drinking at the end of the bar. Hey, you got a problem there, manure bags? Oh, uh, sorry, sir. No, 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 no problem. The spirit world outlaw tips back his hat and steps right up into Sinbad's face. Oh, I think you do. Quick pan over to Hoffman and Reynolds, staring out the front of the saloon. How many of them do you reckon there are? I don't, I don't think these sort of things use human numbers to count. It's more of an energy level thing. And this energy is it's off the chart. This place is snowballing. Something big is coming. 
Well, I, I figured taking the statue away would make them happy. Yeah, I, I don't think the statue was a prop. Maybe actually more of a war of sorts. Once we unplugged the sucker, all hell broke loose. Yeah, huh. Well, what, what's the old man got to say? Is he enlightening? Never. But, but no, I haven't heard a word out of him since we locked him in the de-icer shed. The what? Where, where'd you put the de-icer? I sold that on Craigslist years ago, man. We don't need no fucking de-icer in L.A. Behind them as they are talking, we see Sinbad throw his whiskey into the outlaw's face. The outlaw takes a swing at him and Sinbad ducks, coming up with a punch to the gut. Himmelfart comes running over with a chair and swings it at the outlaw, but he ducks, and it connects with Joe Frank, and his cards go spilling everywhere. Joe Frank stands up and swings his chair at Himmelfart, making direct contact, splintering the chair and knocking them back into Pit, who spills her drink. She runs over and punches Joe Frank, and the whole thing turns into a brawl. Is that a torch? Oh, that, that ain't good. The camera flips around, and we see that off in the distance, a ring of natives have gathered, encircling the saloon at about a hundred yards out, shoulder to shoulder. Most are on foot, but some are atop pintos. At the center of the view is a mounted brave who appears to be the war party leader. He has a large feathered headdress and a large black hawk painted over his face. He holds aloft a lit torch and then tips it to his right and to his left where it lights the torches of the men next to him. Then slowly, man after man, the flame is passed along until the entire circle of men is blazing with fire. The warriors begin banging the ends of the long torches on the ground and chanting, Cut back to the saloon doors. Well, at least they can't burn us down from way over there. A flaming arrow comes flying at the view and funks into the saloon door, about three inches from Reynolds' face. He yelps, <laughs> then grabs his hat and begins to swat out the flame. Well, what are we gonna do, boss? I, I, I don't know. We're, we're, we're gonna need everyone to chip in here. How much water do we have? We could wet down the roof and... A man goes flying out through the saloon doors. Hey, what, what the fuck? Reynolds turns around and suddenly realizes a full-on brawl is taking place right behind him. God damn it, people! I just needed you to be adults for five fucking minutes here! Suddenly a gunshot rings out in the bar, and everyone freezes. Slowly, everyone turns towards Reynolds, who has grabbed Hoffman's six-shooter out of his belt and fired it into the air. Okay, children, everyone shut the fuck up. I need you to listen up for a moment. We are all in grave danger here, and we will only survive if we can work together. And then only maybe. 
What? Jenny seems to be struggling to hear him over the music. God damn it! Reynolds lifts the revolver and shoots the piano player in the back. He slumps forward into the keyboard in a jangle of dissonant chords. I said everyone shut the fuck up! From outside, suddenly everyone can hear the chanting. Cox steps forward. What's going on, Nick? Okay, quick summary. This airport is haunted by the real fake ghosts of all the fake Indians that John Wayne killed in all of his movies, and somehow all the protests and all the attention have created some sort of psychic scar that has allowed some kind of demonic energy to seep in from the other side. That's why it stinks, and, and that's why the airport has been falling apart, and why all the accidents have been happening. Everyone just stares in silence for a moment. Fuck, really? That makes so much sense. What? It, it does? People start nodding their heads and making mm-hmm sounds. <laughs> the chanting is getting louder. Okay, well, that, that was just the backstory. I, anyway, we are now trapped on the spirit plane, and there's an army of fake Indians out there about to murder us all. They have torches, and they're going to burn us alive and shoot anyone who tries to run. A flaming arrow comes sliding in under the door, and Hoffman quickly stomps it out. Wait, why, why are they trying to kill us? Um, well, like Jack here explained, the, the spirit world has chosen to bestow us with the roles of white folk. And things out here seem to play out largely by roles. Yeah, but we are just white people. Cox makes little air quotes. We are white people who care. We are white people who are trying to put things right and reverse the stain on history made by people like John Wayne and Andrew Jackson and all the centuries of injustice. We aren't their enemy. We are their saviors. Uh, okay, sure, you may have a point there, but I wouldn't I wouldn't use the word saviors. But in any case, I don't think they know that. Well then, why don't we just tell them? She storms past Reynolds and out the door of the saloon. Cut to the outside. We see Sharon Cox in her little blue prairie dress with a bustle and a hair bun striding quickly towards the brave with the big black hawk at the front of the war party. The Indians do not react. They all just stare at her. Though they do stop shooting. Cox arrives at the war party. She stares up at big black hawk on his horse. She suddenly notices a familiar mullet dangling from his belt and is shaken unsure of what exactly to say to him. Hello. We, we need to talk. The Indians do not react. A few of them cock their heads as if in a what-did-she-say pose. Um. Sharon raises up her right hand, palm forward. How? Big Black Hawk slowly gets off his horse and steps out towards her. With a single fluid gesture, he grabs her by the hair and throws her to the ground. A 
few other braves join in, and quickly they bind her hands and feet and throw her over Big Black Hawk's horse. Big Black Hawk slaps the horse on the rump, and a brave leads the horse away from the circle. Cut back to the saloon doors, where we see Reynolds' jaw drop. Sharon, no! Don't do it, Nick! But it is too late. Reynolds is out the door, and untying Hamilton. He mounts the chief of airport operations and kicks into his sides with his spurs. He holds the reins with one hand and the revolver with the other. Give her back, you bastards! He hunkers forward on the horse to make a smaller target and gallops forwards right towards the war leader, firing off a volley of shots. A couple Indians go down. We see a few arrows whiz by. And then suddenly, Reynolds crashes into the enemy ranks, scattering them. Before being swallowed by the gloom, the audio goes silent. Cut back to the front of the saloon. We see Hoffman and Jenny peering out the doors now, wide-eyed. After a moment, hooves can be heard nearby. And suddenly, out of the dark, Hamilton trots slowly towards them. He is riderless. Did... did did he... Hamilton shakes his long head. Nay. Cut to the inside of the saloon. Hoffman now seems to have taken charge, and he is leading a vote. As in life, the spirit world always presents you with a choice. Whether you like the alternatives or not, you must choose. And we have a choice to make now. As I see it, we have two options. Die or surrender. So, let's see a show of hands. Die? A few hands shoot up in the crowd. Okay, okay, that's like, uh, six. Okay, now, uh, surrender? Everyone else raises their hands. Alrighty then. Looks like the surrenders have it. Let's go show those savages what we're made of. Cut back to the outside of the saloon. The crowd is filtering out slowly, looking dejected. We see the roof is now on fire in a few places. Hoffman is untying Hamilton from the rail. He pulls Himmelfart aside. Hey, uh, make a decent show of this, will you, kid? Uh, I need a good distraction. Aren't you coming with us, old man? Not yet, but, but old Jack ain't hanging you out to dry. I'm going to get the sheriff. They kiss. This doesn't mean I'm not still mad about the barbecue sauce. They kiss again. Cut back to the conference room in the airport. Jesus pops her head into the room. Hey, I heard they were giving away a pile of Greg's dipwitches here. Hello. 
She looks around the room. It is completely trashed, with clothes and food and paper everywhere. The furniture is all overturned. It looks like a sex tornado just hit. However, there is not a soul there. Jesus surveys the scene, and then saunters over to the punch bowl, where a good two scoops of the magical fluid are left. She helps herself to some punch, and then uncovers half a sandwich under the mess. Sweet. Scene 29. Hosed. Scene opens on everyone tied up in a huge circle in the center of the Indian camp. In the absence of Cox, Reynolds, and Hoffman, it seems that Himmelfart is now the leader of the Spirit Whites. They are tied to a large lodgepole, and everyone else is arranged around them. The Indians are moving about the group, laying out bundles of dried sticks and old blankets and dry hay, and piling it around the feet of the protesters and stuffing it in between the gaps. They are deathly silent, and once the preparations are done, they all stand in a circle around the soon-to-be pyre and start chanting, Jo-wa-do-wa, Jo-wa-do-wa, over and over again. Cut to a close-up of Himmelfart struggling to break free. Bound around them are Pitt, Sinbad, and Jenny. Everyone is kind of writhing around, recalling the orgy scene, but now trying to get away from each other. What are they saying? I don't know, but this is bullshit, man. I voted for surrender. I think they're saying jaw a donut. Damn, do they have donuts? Who the fuck is poking my ass? The Indians are reaching their crescendo, screaming Jawadowa louder and louder until we can't hear anything else. The camera pulls back to show the entire scene, the pyre, the circle of Indians, the surrounding plain. Not far in the distance, there is a sinister-looking marshy lake. Something glimmers faintly in the depths. Cut to an Indian brave, kneeling down and about to touch his torch to the tinder. Suddenly, there is a huge clap of thunder. And a familiar voice from off-screen rings out. Hold it right there, shitting bull. Cut to a close shot of John Wayne standing at the edge of the circle, in all his Rio Bravo glory. He is backlit by a setting sun, looking resplendent in his hat, vest, six shooters in his belt, boots shiny, belt buckle ginormous. He is holding a long fire hose looking thing, which we all recognize as the chowder hose. Behind him in the dust fog, we can see two horses. One is a stunning white mare with a shining silver saddle. The other is Hamilton. And atop him sits Hoffman, who is sweaty and panting, 
but grinning wildly. We made it, old man. You done good, you bald bastard. Hoffman smiles proudly. His horse bucks slightly. Psst. Hey, man. Ask him if his horse is single. One of the Indians whoops. And all the warriors turn to face John Wayne. Cut back to the real airport. We see Jesus staggering around outside, red solo cup in one hand, mushy-looking hoagie in the other. She's muttering to herself, The last shall be first, all right. First up my ass. She stops and sees a JWA shuttle bus parked in the load-unload zone, the driver outside having a smoke. She hops in, shuts the door, it. Cut back to the spirit plane. The Indians and John Wayne are facing off. Himmelfart, Pitt, Jenny, and Sinbad all look on in wonder. Who the hell is that old cute? That's Jack Hoffman. Used to be the maintenance guy. She means him. Uh, uh, j- 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 That's Jojo Siwa? John Uncle fucking Wayne. John Wayne stares down the Indians. Big Black Hawk steps forward. Okay, Kimo Sabi. Let him go. You are not welcome here, Great White Hunter. He grits and dies, Susie Sue. I said let him go. Big Black Hawk gestures and two braves come forward, pushing forward a bound and gagged Reynolds, who is bloody and bruised, and an oddly unfazed Cox. They are both shoved to the ground, torches crammed in their faces. Cut to the lodgepole, where Jenny starts to scream, Nick! Nick! Sinbad winces in ear pain. Oh, shit! Where's my genuine all-natural organic grass-fed non-GMO king toad earplugs when you need them? Where's my popcorn? Can we die in the spirit realm? Cut back to John Wayne, glaring disgustedly at Reynolds and Cox, then back up at Big Black Hawk. Hoffman comes up to John Wayne and says something in his ear. John Wayne nods. I'm gonna give you to the count of three, varmint, and then you're gonna let him go. Or else. Big Black Hawk makes some kind of signal to the Braves. They step back. One. Cut to Reynolds and Cox, wide-eyed and panicking. Cut back to JW. Two. As soon as he says two, he cranks the hose and starts blasting. Steaming gout of white chowder gushes out, knocking back dozens of Indians. Big Black Hawk takes a faceful. Hasta la vista, pilgrim. John Wayne increases the flow. And Big Black Hawk topples over. 
JW continues laying down a suppressing fire of chatter, which extinguishes the torches in the bonfire. And Hoffman rushes forward to free Himmelfart and the others from the lodgepole. As he frees them, Himmelfart kisses him passionately. Welcome back, old man. You miss me? Like a barbecue sauce fire. It's my kind of spice. But I got one more thing to do. Wait for me? Always. They kiss again. Jenny looks like she's gonna puke. Hoffman runs off. Oh, damn! Look at that! Jenny points at Wayne. Cut to John Wayne, picking up spears and tomahawks. Hucking on and never missing. Field is littered with dead Indians. And everyone is shin deep in chowder. The Indians are fleeing, on horseback and on foot. Once they are out of range, we can see them regroup to attack again. Cut to the outskirts of the carnage. Hoffman has gotten to the horses and discovers that Hamilton has mounted the white mare. God damn it, man. Really? Now? He grabs a bucket and starts flinging chatter at the horses. As he is finally getting him separated, we see a stagecoach come barreling past. Jesus at the reins. Yee-haw, make ye way for Christ almighty. She reins up in the chowder muck. Jesus looks around, then gets down. She is still in her robes, but she has a sick pair of snakeskin boots on and her hair is up in a tight bun. Wow, Dad, what happened here? She bends down and dips her finger in the chowder, then sniffs and tastes it. Hmm, <laughs> Wisconsin cream, crushed pepper, salt from the Bonneville Flats, fingerlings, and... She dips again and tastes it. Clams from the Hood Canal, Mises Christ, this is chowder hose chowder. She kneels and starts pulling fistfuls of chowder into her mouth. She comes upon a pile of blankets and picks one up, wringing it out into her mouth. Something falls out. She glances down at it. Cut back to John Wayne. He is now surrounded by Himmelfart, Pitt, Sinbad, and Jenny is off untying Reynolds and Cox. Reynolds gets up and shakes himself off. Golly, Mr. Wayne, we sure owe you a debt of gratitude. Several of the protesters voice their agreement. We sure do. Yeah. JW stands there, basking in their adoration. Himmelfart looks about ready to spit nails. A debt of gratitude? What a fucking joke! 
What the hell is this? This is like every goddamn movie he was ever in, writing in at the last minute to blow all the Native Americans to smithereens and save the colonizers. They point their bony finger at J.W. This man is the literal avatar of everything wrong with America. Don't you see what he represents? What happened here is it just perpetuates the myth that he stands for. I refuse. I refuse to be rescued by this walking national psychic trauma. Hey, hey, young man. He did just save all our asses, you know. A sizable portion of the crowd murmurs their assent with Sinbad. Damn right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, he kicked ass. Did you see that shit with the chowder? The random protester makes the chowder hose arm gesture. The crowd cheers a little. Woo! Fuck yeah! Are you fucking serious right now? We've spent months protesting this jerk, and the second he comes in, guns blazing to make everything okay for the white people again, you start creaming your bloomers. Well, he got the job done, didn't he? Those Indians were about to light us all on fire. Yeah, at least he jumped into action instead of just shouting slogans all day long. I I can't believe what I'm hearing. I refuse to be rescued by the lesser of two evils yet once more. Sharon, do something. I don't know, they have a point. I mean, sitting around bitching about how shitty America is all the time didn't really get us anywhere, did it? And let's be serious, that was fucking sick. She mimes hosing everyone down with a hose. Fuck yeah! While they are all arguing, we see John Wayne looking out towards the Indians. I hate to break up your little powwow, but I think your friends are gonna make another run. Everyone looks and sees the Indians are chanting and looking ready to charge. Cut back to Jesus, staring down at the pile of blankets. There is an Israeli passport sitting on the top. She picks it up, wide-eyed. Ow, baby! She rifles through it. We see her picture and info. Ow, hell yes! She jumps up, kissing the passport, and runs back to the stagecoach. Cut back to the Indians. They are really getting into the Jawadawa chant. Suddenly, we see the marshy lake start to steam and bubble. Cut back to the protesters and all the rest. John Wayne tips his hat back and pulls a tobacco slug from his shirt pocket. He bites off a big piece, chews it, and shrugs. Whoever's leaving, now's the time. John Wayne starts to mosey off. Most of the protesters follow, led by Cox. There are two distinct camps now, Himmelfart having convinced a smaller contingent to stay behind. As the group splits, the Indians charge, racing towards the protesters. Himmelfart's group stands their ground. Drawing the Indians' wrath, 
and allowing the large group to escape. Cut to a close-up of Himmelfart, Pitt, and a few of the other more hardcore protesters. They are lined up like Braveheart, facing death grim-faced and unarmed. I choose the greater of two evils. It's better to burn out than fade away. Suddenly, just as the mob of murderous natives is about to overrun Himmelfart's group, a white Ford Bronco dragging a bronze statue of John Wayne barrels into the scene. It plows through the tightly packed horde of Indians, creaming several of them and scattering the mob. Indian reservation by the raiders blares at top volume from the car stereo. Can't afford that, so just imagine it. Cut to Hoffman at the wheel, cackling. You be crying, motherfuckers! Cut to an overhead shot of the Bronco doing donuts, slamming Indians all over the place. Protesters scatter for cover. Cut to Jesus thundering over the plane in the stagecoach toward the fight. She races past the lake, glancing at it bubbling. And we see something start to rise up from the waters. I don't know. That can't be good. She whips the horses into a lather. And the stagecoach races onward. Cut back to the battleground. JW is blazing a trail out, whipping tomahawks and shooting an unlimited amount of bullets at the Indians. One of the braves stops and points at the lake. We see a huge Cthulhu-looking creature towering over everything. Made of dead frogs and birds and logs and shit. The gargantuan monstrosity opens its massive maw and lets out a tremendous roar. Everyone stops fighting and just stares. Cut to Hoffman skidding to a stop at the lakeshore. Gaping upward. Cut to Jesus, rolling into the midst in the stagecoach, staring at Jawadoa with an oh shit look on her face. She hesitates for a split second and then bellows 
Next stop, Rapture. Let's go, pansies. The Himmelfart contingent snaps out of it and piles into the stagecoach. A couple of the Indians who seem to have had the fight knocked out of them pile in too. Jesus whips the team again and heads towards the Bronco. She pulls up beside Hoffman. Please be with you, ma'am. He tips his hat. And also with you, my son. You thinking what I'm thinking? Hoffman grins. I sure hope not. It's unchristian. Cut back to John Wayne leading the main group of protesters into the sunset. Absolutely giving no shit about Jawadawa or anyone else. Now, which one of you little squaws is gonna polish my pistol? Cut back to Hoffman and Jesus. Hoffman is revving his engine. Jesus is wrapping the reins around her wrist a few times. She hollers back to her passengers. Hold on to your New Testaments, folks. She and Hoffman exchange a wink. And off they go. Hoffman floors it. The Bronco tears off. Jesus, yes! Her horses and they shoot forward. They're barreling for Chihuahua at full speed, whooping like Indian braves. Cut to an overhead shot of the battlefield. We see the lake filling one corner of the screen, and the full, massive size of Jawadawa is revealed. The bulk of the screen is filled with a chowdery plain covered with garbage and scattered Indians. Two tiny little vehicles are barreling towards Jawadawa, like toy cars towards a fat kid. Cut back to show a view from behind the cars. They're racing full speed towards the lake and dodging junkin' bodies. Jawadawa looms large, filling the screen. Hoffman's Bronco is out in front, and suddenly it hits the edge of the marsh. With a sad sploosh, it dips forward and sinks straight down to the bottom. The force of the change of momentum whips the statue up, and it hangs weightless in the air for just a moment, as the stagecoach driven by Jesus connects with it. The feet of the statue jam into the front of the stagecoach, and the cables holding it snap, and the stagecoach continues along, skimming across the surface of the lake the statue protruding from the front like a battering ram. Cut to the inside of the stagecoach. Himmelfart is pinned between the statue's legs, their face looking right at its lumpy metal package. Hold on, Ted! Cut back to the view from behind the stagecoach. We see Jawadawa looming large, and it opens its giant marshy maw to swallow the vehicle. Ah! 
The head of the statue makes contact with the maw of Jawarwa. And there is a tremendous blurching sound. The screen goes green with exploding goo. Dead frogs and birds are thrown everywhere. Then, a moment later, the goop clears and the stage barrels forward. The camera pulls slowly back and we see that Jawadawa's head has exploded. It tries to stand haphazardly and begins to come apart. Dead bodies dropping splorchingly into the marsh. the stagecoach now through a giant hole in the middle of the creature. It circles around and slowly begins to rise up into the air. However, Jawadawa is now grabbing handfuls of dead things and goop and is stuffing them into its head. It looks like maybe it's starting to reform. Finally, an eye opens in the great beast and it starts to grab out where it's the flying stagecoach. We're too heavy. I need a little help back there. Cut to Himmelfart and Pit and a few other protesters and Indians pushing the legs of the statue. Finally, it slides forward and falls. Himmelfart and one of the Indians high-five. Woohoo! Oh, fuck yeah! Cut back to the aerial view. The stagecoach is high in the sky above Jawadawa, and we see the statue plummet from it. Landing right in the center of the writhing mass. The creature explodes! Basting the battlefield in a coating of brown goo. The stagecoach rises higher and higher into the air. And then finally streaks off. Shooting into the heavens on a beam of light. Which finally dwindles away to a single bright star burning in the night sky. A lens flare from the camera gives it a little bit of a cross-like appearance. Cut to the edge of the lake. All looks dead and goopy and calm. Finally, the surface is disturbed by some ripples. A hat floats to the surface. Next, a dark hand sticks up out of the water. 
and Jack Hoffman comes sputtering to the surface. He swims over to the edge of the lake and pulls himself out of the water. He sits there, panting for a few seconds. And then looks down and sees a battered Amazon package stuck in the mud. He pulls it out. Whips out his bowie knife. Cuts open the package. And stares down into the box. Finally, he pulls out a pair of leather gloves. Hey, not bad. He tries to pull the gloves on, and they are too small. They barely make it past his fingers. Fuck you, Jeff Bezos! Sunday. Scene 30. Walk of Shame. Scene opens early Sunday morning at the drop-off zone, where Fudgeson is pulling up in his UberX. He slides out of the back seat and takes a look around. What the? Camera pans around the airport. It is totally trashed. It looks like someone has driven a shuttle bus over each and every garbage can, knocking the trash everywhere. The fountain is smashed, and the bronze statue of John Wayne is protruding from it upside down, its head buried in at least a foot or two of rubble. The buskers are back, doing a rousing version of Sink to the Bottom. There is dried chowder everywhere. He grimaces as he walks into the entrance, his shoes sticking and making disgusting noises as he lifts them up. He enters the main hall, where a small stream of chowder is still trickling out the doors. It looks as if someone has driven the bus through security, and the scanners are smashed and swept to the side. TSA is checking people with hand scanners. He reaches the food court, which looks like it has just survived a prison riot. He turns left and heads down to the B gates. Suddenly, he hears people shouting from the A gates corridor. There he is! After him! Fudgeson's eyes widen, and he makes a run for it. A crowd of ragged, half-naked, and chattery people are hot on his trail, led by Cox and Reynolds. Fudgeson looks back and sees them gaining on him. He makes a little whining scream and breaks into a sprint. He gasps as he hits the Amtrak motorized walkway and picks up a little speed. But then the mob hits the track behind him and speeds up as well. The camera shows a side view where we see Fudgeson running from the mob with the Amtrak ad behind him, making it look like he's running from zombies on a train in the Old West while Indians and bandits attack the train. That's the scene through the windows. Finally, he gets to the gates, bangs open an emergency door, and goes running out onto the tarmac. He heads for the set of rolling stairs where his plane was parked. 
He breathes a deep sigh of relief as he gets to the stairs and starts running up. He books it up the stairs and then lets out a satisfied victory yell as he gets to the top. And then screams when he realizes that there's no plane there. And he's about to topple over off the top of the stairway. His bag goes flying out of his hands and smashes open below. Spilling model train equipment, manga, and lederhosen everywhere. The mob surrounds the stairs. Fudgerson is trapped. Reynolds steps forward. Commissioner Fudgerson, we have something to say to you. Fudgerson looks terrified, but has no way out, so he resigns himself to his fate. Well, out with it, man. We, we have resolved our differences with the protesters, sir. We, we have agreed to rename the airport. Fudgerson raises his eyebrows. You, you have, eh? To what? Well, I think it's best I let Miss Cox explain that, sir. Cox steps forward. She's filthy, and her hair is matted with chowder, congealed and sticking out to one side. Half of her blouse seems to have been torn away, and her skirt is torn off about six inches from the waist. Someone has drawn a zucchini on a stick on her thigh with lipstick. She's wearing cowboy boots. That's right, sir. We have agreed to rename the airport. After John Wayne. What? Look, sir, John Wayne may not be the perfect person, but then again, nobody is. It's so easy in these difficult times to point fingers and call everyone out for their failures that we sometimes easily miss the good in people. And what's good about John Wayne was he did his best. While other people ran from their problems or gave in to bullies, he stood up to them. He took action, risked his own neck, and took a stand for what he thought was right. For my sake... I am proud to have my airport named after John Wayne instead of some sleazy politician, another too-big-to-fail tech company, a gropey producer, or one more filthy rich donor. This is our airport, and it reflects our history, and I'm proud to call it that. Fudgeson looks utterly stunned. Okay, I couldn't agree more, but... Isn't this place already named John Wayne Airport? Oh, well, yes, that's the important part. Sometimes healing doesn't come from just time, but from ceremony as well. We can't just sweep history under the rug. We need to bring it out into the open in all its ugliness. And I can't think of a better example of that than John Wayne Airport. The controversy will never go away if we ignore it. We need to embrace our past and atone for it at the same time. So yes... We will announce that we are renaming the airport, and why, and at the same time explain that we are doing this as a way to raise awareness of our troubled past. And when the new name is christened, we will also open a new entrance hall for the airport, one dedicated to educating people on the history and plight of the Native Americans and the shameful way we have treated them. But but not a depressing downer of a museum, but one that also incorporates the spirit of the West, the dream that one can be the master of their own fate, that one can carve out a life in the wilderness and build something new and better, yet that better world being one of diversity and cooperation. Woo! 
The crowd cheers and begins applauding. The camera pans around and we see Jenny, Sinbad, Joe Frank, and various familiar protester faces smiling and clapping. A few people high-five or hug. And yeah, we could call it Sacagawea Airport or something more PC, but the challenge is not to win the hearts and minds of oppressed minorities, but to actually convince real, privileged white people to start thinking differently. No racist is going to walk into Sacagawea Airport with an open mind and learn something, but if we call it John Wayne Airport, make them feel like they're in a safe space, maybe we can surprise them and start to make a difference. Wow. Okay. Uh, well, well, all right then. Yeah. I can live with that. Yay! Bravo. The crowd cheers more. Yay! Now, uh, has anyone seen my plane? The crowd shrugs and shakes its head. Soon there is a clip-clopping sound, and Hoffman, completely covered in mud, comes riding up on a dappled horse and parks it at the end of the stairs. He tips his hat. Does someone need a ride? One month later. Scene 31. Victory. Scene opens on a black screen with one month later in white. We see a bright sunny day as we open on the airport atrium. There's a party going on. The John Wayne statue has been repaired and it is standing in its old place with a huge white sheet over it. The camera pans through the crowd and we see some familiar faces. Bob Dylan arrives with an attractive woman decked out in L.L. Bean. Howdy. Uh, this is Reynolds' ex-wife, who gives Reynolds the finger as Bob nibbles her earlobe. Reynolds is getting his revenge by making out with Cox. A few of the protesters have paired off into couples. Shake and Ada bump into each other in the mix. Oh, excuse me, miss. Ada looks him up and down. Oh, you're certainly excused, young man. She obviously likes what she sees, even though he still has mummy bandages on part of his body, and his hair is kind of patchy. She extends her hand. I'm Ada. I'm with the family. Shake sees his opportunity. Oh, no, no shit. A duchess? A pleasure. He flashes a shocker down low. Oh my, is that the pride of Wichita I see before me? Whoa, y you're familiar with the Volkswagen dung beetle? Quite well, although it's been far too long. Shake slips his mummy arm across her shoulder. Well, let's rectify that, shall we? They move off, and we return to Bob Dylan and the former Mrs. Reynolds canoodling. 
Bob Dylan reaches behind her and taps a little bell with an ice cream scoop. The bell starts a Rube Goldberg machine that pulls a little rope and down comes a banner reading. Bob Dylan soft serve somebody, now serving stuck inside a JWA with a mystic stank again. Two scoops for the price of two. Jenny is first in line. What have you got for us, Bob? Glad you asked. This one is for all my loyal customers who have stuck with me over the years. Even if that meant braving the stank for a scoop. You all mean a lot to me. Well, you mean a lot to us too, Bob. Ah, shucks. Anyway... He starts scooping ice cream. It starts with a base of my best-selling runny date raisin number 12 and 35. And then I blend in a thick ribbon of durian and Limburger cheese. Jenny tastes it. What the fuck, Bob? I really nailed it, didn't I? Jenny nods violently, her mouth full of ice stink. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She jumps up and down and high-fives him kissing him on the cheek and leaving a brown, runny mess. She walks off with her face in her waffle cone. The camera follows her as she goes, stopping as she walks past Reynolds and Cox. They're making out when his watch beeps. Reynolds detangles himself. Oh crap, there's my cue. Cox pats his lapels. You're gonna do great, Nick. I'm proud of you. He grins sheepishly and kisses her on the cheek before jogging off toward the base of the statue, where a small rostrum has been set up. He pulls a tiny souvenir tomahawk from his pocket and taps on the metal mic stand. Everyone turns their attention from Dylan toward him, but everyone is disappointed he doesn't have a cool Rube Goldberg machine, too. Hi, everyone. Hi, Nick. Well, today's the big day. We're all here. Well, those of us who made it. We're here to commemorate where we've been, what we've done to get here, and where we're going. You know, sometimes the future can look an awful lot like the past, so much that it may not look like there's any difference at all. But if you look, if you really look at what we've done, you can see that our future... The future of John Wayne Airport is solidly rooted in its past, but not trapped by it. The leaves and branches of our future spring from those roots, but they always grow into new, unexplored places. Wow, that was fucking good. Anyway, here to do the honors and unveil our new daddy, he gestures towards the statue. Please welcome... He stops and grimaces. Oh, I forgot... Commissioner Fudgeson is still missing, so, uh, I, I guess I'll do it. There is a smattering of applause as Reynolds goes to grab the rope that will pull the sheet off the statue. But just as he takes hold, Joe Frank rushes up with a cell phone. Boss, it's urgent. He hands the phone to Reynolds. What? Now? It's the Secretary of Transportation. Reynolds turns to the crowd. Sorry, folks. 
I gotta take this. Yellow? Speaking? Say, say what? Really? No, come on. Well, 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 shit. Effective when? Oh, that's... Seriously? Um, well... Uh, Alright then, uh, th thanks for calling. He hangs up. The crowd is looking at him expectantly. Reynolds looks pale. He looks out at the crowd and then forces a smile. Well, folks, that was the FAA with some great, um, with some, uh, unexpected news. The crowd goes hush. Reynolds looks down at his speech and sighs and tears it in half and tosses it back over his shoulder. He pulls out a silver pocket flask out of his jacket and takes a hit. Okay, well, I, I might as well out with it. Despite all our tremendous efforts, John Wayne Airport is being de <coughs> decommissioned. The crowd gasps, and there are some scattered boos. Reynolds holds up his hands. He wipes his eyes. No, no, I, I know this isn't the result we were looking for, but th there's a silver lining. By order of the president, the airport is being repurposed as, wait for it, a, a refugee center. The crowd is silent for a moment, and then scattered applause begins to grow. Soon the crowd seems to have decided this is all for the best and breaks out into cheers and applause. Woo! Yeah. Th that's right, folks. In three months, the ground we are now standing on will be known around the world as the John Wayne Foreign Refugee Internment Camp. The applause immediately stops. Bob Dylan drops his ice cream scoop and it clatters on the pavement breaking the awkwardness. Uh, um, well, time to bust out the protest gear again, I guess. Not sure a name change will do us much good this time. Actually, I, I, I don't think I could think of a better name. Everyone pauses in thought for a moment. <laughs> People nod in agreement, but nobody can really think of anything more to say. Okay, fuck it. Reynolds shrugs, grabs the rope, and yanks. The sheet comes off the statue. Sunlight coming in through the atrium windows hits the bronze duke and glints as everyone gasps in awe. A few people start to cheer and whistle. I'm Alright by Kenny Loggins comes on and gradually everyone starts dancing. Camera zooms in on the crowd, flits through the dance floor, occasionally lingering on familiar faces. Reynolds is dancing with cops. His wife is grinding on Bob Dylan. Jenny is doing the jitterbug with Sinbad. Shaw Kay and Ada are dancing butt to butt. Joe Frank and Hoffman are doing the hand job. Hamilton trots by pulling a hay cart, which holds Lewis. He is carrying a large paper mache hose. Blasting glitter out over the crowd. 
Only one person seems to be missing. One of the protesters looks up and points. Hey, that cloud looks like... Cuts of the sky through the atrium windows. The cloud looks suspiciously like Himmelfart. The crowd ooze and awes and the camera soars up into the sky and we look down on JWA for the last time. Jesus, Maria, and Jose, just what I need. A bunch of filthy wetbacks all crammed up inside me. Though I guess that engine curse did clear out plenty of room for them. Hey, Pancho, these dingleberries ain't gonna pick themselves. Airport mutters more racist shit as we fade up into the clouds. As we get farther and farther from the ground, the voice gets fainter and fainter. Oh, wait. Think about all the young senioritas I'll be taking care of. I always did like a little caramel on my apples. Heh, <laughs> I married three of them. And plenty more I didn't have to marry. Take a letter, Maria, indeed. How about a big P? The camera fades up until, finally, we can't hear him anymore. As airport thankfully fades out, we faintly hear an approaching propeller plane, and soon it passes the camera's view. It is Fudgeson's plane, cut to the cockpit. Fudgeson is knocked out and propped up at the controls, a la weekend at Bernie's. We can see a light blinking on the panel reading, Autopilot engaged. The cockpit door is open, and through it we see James Kahn dragging a drugged teenage boy down the central aisle. Iran by Nine Inch Nails crashes onto the soundtrack as the screen cuts to black. The credits roll.
we will take it step by step. We will take it row by row to put our spirits in the seeds we sow. Your trip, it is the sacred right. We'll bear that cross through the night. Scene 1. We see Newman surfing the interwebs. He comes across a new mod for Doom. How sweet. The John Wayne's colon edition. Wow. It consists of the player moving down a colon-shaped cave and being attacked by kooky shit monsters and exploding polyps. as he sips from a two-gallon 7-Eleven cup. Post-credit scene two. Glewis Johnson is making his way into work on Monday morning. He is bopping along happily, whistling the A-Team theme song. He is carrying a Magnum P.I. lunchbox. He passes through the food court, nods at a few of the janitorial staff cleaning up the community meeting mess. What's up, lady? He gets to the roller wall that shutters the chatter hose, unlocks the little manual side door, and steps inside. He freezes up at the entrance, and the lunchbox clatters to the floor. Fade to black as we hear him exclaim, Mother Butler! Post-credit scene three. Jojo Siwa steps forward from out of the security gates and is greeted by a huge crowd of cheering fans. Above, we see a gigantic sign reading Cincinnati Central Bus Depot. 
She's wearing some kind of jetpack-looking device and shouts out, Hello, Cincinnati! Are you ready to get Jojo'd? The crowd goes wild. She holds up a little hose and starts spraying gouts of chatter all over her ravenous fans. We see Peter Tucker in a little Sailor Moon outfit at the front of the crowd take a massive spurt right in the face. Jawadawa was written by Greg Dent and Jeff Walker. Narration in all voices by Greg Dent. Production and post-production by Greg Dent. All music written and performed by Greg Dent with the exception of the Wild West Piano Player, played by Alex Dent, and the Cello Bit, played by Cecilia Roldset. This has been a Pizzorni Van Nuffel joint. You ain't seen the last of us. You're watching Channel 4 News on the Spot. Today we're at John Wayne Airport, where a suspicious fire has just broken out leaving a lot of people wondering if the constant protests have finally gone too far. I've seen at least three full-size fire engines go by so far, Brian, and smoke is still billowing up from one of the old hangars at the back of the airfield. Um, I'm here right now with Billy Joel, who took some time off his latest tour to come down and show support for the protesters uh, by putting on a series of impromptu concerts. Billy, I understand you have a statement for us from the protesters. That's right, Dan. We didn't start the fire. 